Hello and welcome to the ETOF21 Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Eric, the man behind ETOF21 Sports. You can find my work on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ETOF21 Sports. You can also find my work etof21sports.com. That's my website where it has all the links to my podcast, my package info that I sell, also has my betting spreadsheets for all the sports I bet, also my horse racing spreadsheet. So all my intel with how I do in different sports and different horse tracks can be found there. How is everyone doing today? How was everyone's holiday weekend? Did you enjoy the holiday weekend? I was swimming in second places with horse racing to start out the weekend. Now, there's nothing more frustrating than, than being a capper and losing a bet in horse racing because your jockey messed up the ride. Nothing more frustrating. And that's what happened to start out my weekend. I had so many second places. And, of course, all the haters messaging me on the Instagram and the Twitter, oh, you suck, you can't pick. Are you watching the race? Are you seeing, like, I'm losing photos? <laughs> like, second place, horse racing is very hard to do. And... I am not losing because of jockeys messing up the ride. I mean, it, it it was just funny to me. But then bombs over Baghdad at Golden Gate Fields. An $18 wager returning a little over 2K in the early pick five. Now I have people ask me, why don't you post these tickets or sell them? Well, the answer is I did. And then people started to bitch. Those are insanely hard to hit. And... When they do, the ROA is great. Example, my $18 into a little or 2 k Plus, I don't pay play tickets over $54. So all my tickets when I do these pick fives, pick six, pick fours are low risk, high reward. And people would come at me when they wouldn't hit. But you have to understand the break even point is, re- is really low. So I just got sick of it. And, you know, people were understanding that they're not going to win every time. And you got to trust the system. And you guys need to understand that my horse betting strategy is like an NFL offensive running game. You trust the system. At the end of the year, you'll see profit. I get it. You, you all expect me to turn a profit every flipping day. But that's not how gambling works. If anyone tells you that they are wrong and full of shit. Plus, it's also amazing to me that I'm posting horse racing win bets for free. For free, not asking one flipping dime for anybody. My ROI for the year for horse racing is plus 41.32 units, 109%. That means if you bet $10 per bet every time I post a bet, you would be up $413.20. But yet people still bitch. Amazing to me. People don't get how hard it is to turn a profit betting horses. 2% of people betting ponies make money. I'm in the flipping 2%, giving stuff for free, for free, win bets for free, and people are bitching. It's just amazing to me. Amazing. Well, enough with my rant. We have a good show planned for you today. We're going to talk the match two, a little Coca-Cola 600, AEW Stadium Stampede, and my boy Alpha Analytics is stopping by. And we're going to talk about his approach to sports betting. And we're going to dive into a little MLB. Hopefully we'll have MLB coming around. So uh, let's let's hop right into it. The match, too, was this weekend. It pitted Peyton Manning and Tiger Woods versus Tom Brady and Phil Mickelson. And the format was for the front nine, both played normal skins-type match. And then... 
whoever had the best score won the whole back nine was the alternating after the drive. It was the best five hours of sports we've seen since March. I'm not going to lie. I was captivated as hell. I originally thought I was just going to have it kind of live streaming on my computer or my iPad with horse racing going on on the TV. Uh, no, I had that on, and I normally don't have audio on. I had audio on, and I was listening to everything. Horse racing was on the computer, and, I mean, it was great. Tom Brady splitting his pants. Justin Thomas calling Charles Barkley a fat ass. Phil Mickelson breaking down every single shot before Tom Brady hit. Tiger Woods trash-talking and then kind of not being a little bit more quiet on the back nine, focusing on winning. And also, did anyone else see Phil Mickelson's calves? Dude, he's got some stones, dude. What's up with that calf workout, Phil? I mean, I've been told I have some calves, but damn, dude, I'm jealous of yours, bro. The trash-talking back and forth between the players when celebrities called in and talked trash. My personal highlights were when Tom Brady was struggling in the front nine. People on Twitter were blasting him. Brooks Capaga tweeted out, hey, if you just make par, just make par in the front nine. I'll donate 100K. And then on the seventh hole, Charles Barkley started talking trash because the announcers, Barkley and Justin Thomas, they were allowed to talk and the players could hear them. And Barkley started talking some trash to Brady. And Brady was obviously frustrated because he was like, I'm trying to win a Super Bowl. He goes out there and then Brady fucking nuts. An approach from a long ass out to Eagle the whole fucking nuts it. And then he tells Barkley to suck on that. It was amazing. And then after the making the shot, he goes, I'm going to have this moment because I have sucked for seven holes. And then he starts thanking his mom, his kids, his dad, Giselle, everyone. It was great. And it was that moment that Tom Brady had that all of us that have played golf can relate to because it's one of the most frustrating sports but we hit that one shot and we hit that one shot it makes us come back and Tom what Tom Brady did we all relate to and Tom Brady is one of the most hated guys in football everybody was rooting for him yesterday because of how much he was struggling this was the one time in Tom Brady's career all of us people could actually react to what he was going through struggling on the golf course and hitting that one shot it was great I mean, it, I really loved everything I saw. I also liked Phil Mickelson giving this big speech about his sponsor and how this is for them. And then he goes on the longest drive hole. And if you win it, you get a you get some sort of cash donation or whatever. And he completely shits the bet on it. Oh, that was great. And then the longer it went on, the more Phil started yapping and the less Tiger started yapping, which is great. You could tell Phil was trying to rattle everybody. And then he started breaking down the shot that was going to be coming from Tom. I mean, it was great. The way Peyton reacted after a bad shot to missing a putt, kind of like how he reacted to throwing an interception. Top to bottom, great event. Tiger, you know, he, he talked a little bit at the beginning, but in the back, you could tell he wanted to get the W. I mean, he was locked in. He was wearing the red. And it just shows you how good these golfers are golfers often will get overlooked for how good and how athletic they are i mean phil and tiger they they put on a show 
there was that one time when Phil and Tom were down, and Phil said, hey, you may want to mark your ball to Tiger. Tiger says, "How? I'll tell you what, if you hit it, you can have the hole. Son of a bitch, Phil almost hit it. And then after that, Tiger shut up. It was great. Beforehand, Brady, not Brady, excuse me, Peyton said, hey, maybe I can get Nick Foles or Eli as my caddy. That was great. I mean, just the shit talking back and forth, the whole production. I mean, rain slowed it down. They played in the green. Four greats of their sport, going at it, talking trash. Oh, my God, it was a great distraction and great event. I would totally watch that again in a heartbeat. It was an awesome job. Coca-Cola 600 was last night, and even though our fade Ryan Blaney strategy was wrong, and we had one of our winning bets finish seconds, so we thought, the NASCAR race, we cashed a little over 11U last night. All plays, again, were posted for free at ETOF21 Sports, so I hope all you guys followed. Brad Kozlowski won the race. It was his first win at the 600, and the first time a Ford has won it since 2002. Jimmy Johnson, who we were sitting at as 12-1 to to win it all, who we thought finished second, extending his losing streak to 102, failed post-race inspection, thus putting him in last place. I had him going in my season-long fantasy NASCAR, and I was in contention if that would have held up, but now I'm out of contention for the spring session on the driver groups game I do with me and my buddies. So yeah, that sucked. I'd have to make up 28 points per race, and I mean, that just sucks. I'd be more pissed if I thought we won the bet with Johnson plus 1,200, and then the the win bet would have been switched up. I believe that happened last year in the trucks. It may have been Xfinity, but I'm pretty sure it was trucks. It was either Chastain or, or Grayson one, my boy PJ had him, and then they failed post-race inspection. Could you believe that? Could you imagine having a, like a winning bat, like a 15 to 1, 10 to 1, 20 to 1, whatever? And I mean, you're, you're confident, chest is out, you're bragging on Twitter, on Instagram, to all your boys, and then boom, he failed the inspection. I would be pissed. I would be fucking livid. God. I mean, in this fantasy, you know, I can make it up season-long. Session-wise, I can't. But, you know, it is what it is. At least he didn't win the race. That's why I'm looking at it. But you got to feel for Chase Elliott. Jesus. He was coasting to victory. A comfortable lead. And his teammate, Will Byron, had a tire issue forcing a caution. You could hear Elliott say, you got to be kidding me, while talking to his crew chief. That led to a caution. Elliott's crew chief told him to pit, but eight people right behind him stayed on. So that immediately just took Elliott out of the race. Kozlowski ended up getting the push that he needed to get to the victory and outdueled Johnson getting the, fr- the free air and everything. So good for Brad, who's coming up on his free agency this year because his contract at Penske is up. So good for him. I mean, I've always liked Brad, so... You know, good for him. Hopefully he can stay in the game and not get pushed out like Kenseth and Edwards did. But, God, I mean, I just feel for Elliott. On Wednesday, he was in second place, chance to win, and he got spun out allegedly accidentally. I mean, I don't think Kyle meant to do it. I think it was a tight gap, but it was still tight and spun him out. And then yesterday, 
I mean, being a lap and a half away from winning your first 600. And then that happened. Jesus. I feel for the kid, man. I feel for him. Anyway, just a reminder, you know, today is Monday. Hopefully I'll have this podcast up before the Xfinity race. But, you know, I will have some Xfinity picks posted. We got trucks races on Tuesday. And then I believe there's another race at Charlotte on Wednesday. So I'll keep on giving out some free stuff until the memberships start back up. So you guys keep looking for it at etof 21 Sports for free picks. I mean, cashed 11.86 units last night. I mean, you can't complain on that. Stadium Stampede was Saturday at AEW Double or Nothing. And I'm not going to lie. If it wasn't for this COVID-19, I probably wouldn't have watched it. But I'm glad I did. It was entertaining. It was entertaining as hell. It was the inner circle against the elite inside the home field of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And boy, I mean, like I said, this match did not disappoint. Both sides were introduced like football teams, even with the inner circle where it was actually wearing jersey numbers. Hangman Page didn't come out when he was introduced. They've been building this little friction as one of their storylines in the group, but Kenny Omega, who he's tag team partners with, didn't seem to be too rattled by it. And then Hangman showed up on a horse, on a flippant horse, and chased Sammy Guevara, who Sammy Guevara had a rough little night. Let me tell you that. But anyway, he went to the bar, ponied up at the bar. Inner Circle member Jack Hager showed up, had a drink next to him, and then those two proceeded to get in a bar fight, which was hilarious and great. Matt Hardy was in the pool. Inner Circle members Santana and Ortiz tried to drown him, and then he kept switching personas like he did in the uh, Lake of Recarnation when he did when the first Broken Matt character was introduced in TNA. I mean, it was a funny bit, but with the drowning of former WWE superstar over the weekend, Shade, who was trying to, who told the lifeguards to save his kid and not him, I think they should have edited it out. I think they should have edited it out. I mean, someone just died of a drowning, and let's let's show a little bit of class. I think they should, like I said, they should have edited that out. There was 100 yards of suplexes. Matt Johnson, Matt, excuse me, Matt Jackson with the moonsault off the gold pillows. Nick Jackson hitting Chris Jericho in the nads with a football. Chris Jericho doing the Judas effect to the Jaguars mascot. And my personal highlight was when Jericho threw the challenge flag when he thought he got the two count. And the referee went into the challenge booth to look at it. Like, dude, Jericho came up with that, and that was brilliant. That was brilliant. And then when the referee was like, no, play continues, it was only two, Jericho yelled, you're a shitty referee. It was great. I mean, it was great. And when people start talking about the Mount Rushmore wrestling, are we at the point now where we can include Jericho on it? In my mind, you can make an argument he's the GOAT with what he's done. All those years, he's been relevant, and he's kept involving characters. I mean, look how much his character has changed. Y2J, when he was first in WWE, he did the whole thing with the best friend gimmick and the list with Kevin Owens. 
going to New Japan, doing the whole Omega Alpha thing with Kenny, Kenny Omega. And now coming to AEW, being the first champion, being El Champion. You just think of everything he's done, and it just blows your mind. I mean, like, legit, in my eyes, he he could be the GOAT. You could, if someone came up and made an argument that Chris Jericho is the GOAT, I would listen to him, and I'd probably agree with him. All right, so now we're going to welcome my boy, Alpha Analytics, to the show. And uh, him and I are going to talk about sports betting and MLB a little bit. Alpha, how you doing today, buddy? Pretty well. How about yourself, bro? Pretty good, pretty good. How is sunny California? You know, like, uh, it's it's starting to be better. It's definitely starting to feel like summer a little bit here. You know, we're starting to enter a little bit of, like, next phases of reopening in some cases. You know, restaurants are starting to enter, like, you know, social distancing practices and things like that. So, it's starting to be better just all around, but, you know, it's... Uh, what can you say? It's San Diego. Yeah, I mean, I have been to San Diego four times, and it was great. So I am insanely jealous of you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, my first question for you is, how did you get into sports betting? So always been a fan of sports. You know, I grew up playing baseball my whole life. Um, you know, I basically was just a fan of uh, just the one game. But, you know, I started to appreciate so many others just as you get older. You know, I just start watching anything, finding a reason to have, you know, be out and be social. And uh, then Vegas called my name. You know, I had some friends invite me out for March Madness. And, uh, and that was basically all she wrote in terms of sports betting. I mean, I, uh, I basically had participated out in Vegas in the World Series of Poker. And, you know, then when I was there for March Madness, I was just watching people bet left and right in the sports book. And, you know, I was just trying to figure it all out. Like, that was, you know, my, like, day one, trying to just understand, and, you know, just really trying to understand how people are throwing money at a game for a trend to fall their way without really kind of knowing the numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, if you haven't been out there for championship week, you have to go out there. That's my favorite week. I like that week more than I like March Madness. Oh, okay. Yeah, see, I like opening weekend of March Madness. I mean, I'm out in Vegas at least twice a year. Obviously not this year. But, you know, that's uh, March Madness opening weekend. Love it. And then I get back out there for fantasy football draft for myself as well. Oh, nice. Yeah, I go out yeah. there way too much. I'm, I actually <laughs> I actually rolled the dice and booked a trip for Labor Day weekend. Hopefully it would be back open. Um, yeah, yeah. We got some tickets that we were trying to reserve as a group for hopefully Raiders – you know, pre-game, you know, pre-season tickets yeah. along with our draft still, but nah, we'll see. That's oh, Vegas. You got to roll the dice, man. Um, yeah, man. So you're mainly stats driven. And how long, when you come up with your formulas, how long to get that data does it take you? It takes me quite a while. I mean, to your point, yes, I'm very much a stats guy. Like, I just kind of realized I can't just blindly follow people. Um you know, for my own personal betting, I need something to give me an understanding of, you know, why I'm placing my bet with, you know, a better probability, if you will. So, you know, it takes me quite a while. I do a lot of research and discovery into each league's, you know, main sports websites to understand what statistical data that they actually have out there in order to pull it in and organize it for my outputs of how I want to place a bet. So, 
you know, I start out basically first steps, basically researching websites. Second steps is, you know, then taking that and organizing that data and, uh, you know, creating the spreads and totals that I'm looking at. And then it gets kind of intricate. You know, it starts to get a little, little more into, you know, my analytical mindset of regression formulas, like linear, multiple, logistic, you know, and then getting into the probabilities of odds with the, the Kelly criterion that I use as my money management formula. And then when you're looking at data, how big of a sample size do you feel you need? I generally feel like the bigger the sample size, the better the data model will have for an output. You know, every time, every single model, you can have something, and don't get me wrong, not every model needs to be very intricate. Some of them can be very simple, but in order to have a model, you need at least a certain amount of stats in order to predict, you know, the weighted average outcome that you're looking for. And, you know, baseball is a great example, actually, because, you know, when you come into a brand new season, you know, players are switched on the team. So, you know, you're looking at a lot of different data, you know, a little bit differently. And, you know, especially for a team summary and output from that angle. So, you know, it definitely has to come down to, you know, basically starting with the last, I want to say, probably like two to three seasons of data just for a good indicator of recent performance from a, from a team summary. But then when you, you know, start to build out things, I mean, every league should have at least a month's, you know, worth of data coming in, you know, to bet slowly and then bet it smartly as well. Uh, just as individual player statistics roll up from the team summary. And then you jumped into the KBO. I I haven't jumped off that bridge yet, but how much does your KBO formulas and the data you look at differ than your MLB, or does it stay the same since it's still just baseball data? So it does differ in a lot of ways, and if you asked me this probably about a week ago, I would have said a lot. I mean, we're talking about, I'm adding on, as much as I can, as more data comes in. That season for KBO just started. And so we're talking just a few weeks of, you know, a sample size of information in some in some cases. But, you know, the similarities are, are really right there. You've got aggregate team rankings. You've got hitting, pitching, home away factors. The differences, though, can be, you know, the starting pitching and the bullpen, like DRA, and then as well as, you know, getting into the more intricate levels of, hitting WRC plus and DRC plus, which, you know, for those unfamiliar, it's like the weighted runs created along with the different deserved runs created. So, you know, it can really be different based on the individual projected player bat batting lineups and, and starting pitching lineups that go against it. Okay. Now when I bet MLB, I have numerous rules that I follow because MLB for me is the hardest sport to bet. So I'm very limited with my volume. Sure. Now, when you bet MLB, do you have like certain rules that you follow or anything like that? Or is it me or is it just what the numbers say? Yeah, not exactly betting rules. Um, you know, my, my formula is set up like a money ball approach. You know, do you believe in what you're doing? Then trust the process, trust the model. Uh, the Kelly criterion formula that I have, you know, set up within my models, and this goes for every sports betting model I create, help me navigate whether to bet on a game or not. I trust my data. I trust, you know, that it's a data-driven model to begin with. And, you know, for, for a sport such as MLB, which is so data-driven in itself, um, that's how I'm placing my bets. So it's all about, you know, 
Moneyball approach with Kelly Criterion for for how I place the bet. Now with COVID nineteen, there's a high probability that there'll be zero fans in attendance for these MLB games. Is that going to kind of change the way you bet the games, or with the fans, does that have zero effect on it? So I actually am interested to see how this stat goes because there are things that I can see with no fans and the different venues that are going to be used in terms of you know what the season has in front of us. Um, mainly, what I'm interested in seeing is the effect on home away factors and the stadium influences for sure. Uh, you know, I'd have to basically observe, you know, the stadium locations and kind of go from there with a lot of those factors. I, you know, for instance, I tried to take, uh, last season, you know, as they were doing overseas type stuff, like in London when the Yankees and I think Boston set up over there and Mm -hmm. I took away the home away park factors and, you know, and it was a blowout of a game. And so it's just kind of like, you know, you can have them in there, but, you know, if it's a neutral site in a lot of cases, which it sounds like we might be, you know, coming to see for this current season, then you have to reduce those factors. So, because they're not playing at the same expectations of, you know, the visiting parks that we're used to. Interesting. Because, I mean, I go up to, I'm I'm in the Chicago suburbs, but it's easier for me to go up to Milwaukee. And I'm honestly sad I'm not going to be going to Miller Park this year. Um, have you been to Petco? All the time, yeah. I go to Petco. Like, <laughs> I'm I'm sad I'm not there now. I had opening day tickets. Oh. You know, I was ready for the season. I go to Petco at least two to three times a week when the when the home team's in town because they have stuff like Taco Tuesday night. They got oh. all kinds of great beer selections just with their craft breweries in the ballpark. And yeah, man, that's just a great hangout spot for a Friday night to enjoy a beer and <laughs> sit oh. back and watch a great game. Jealous, man. That's one of my. That's what. That's one of the places I want to go to. Speaking of the Padres, I did some future bets, and Padres are one of the teams I invested in for a future. I was kind of high on them. What What MLB teams are you high on this year? So for MLB, you know, like you know, before the season started, let's let's just be honest. There's so many different acquisitions that went on. The Dodgers and Yankees are playing for title or bust. There's nothing to write home about there with them, right? So. Mm-hmm. You know, the teams that I'm really interested in seeing how they gel are the White Sox. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of pieces there uh, that have just, they really start to come together at the end of last season and start figuring it out. So, uh, you know, I'm really interested in seeing how they do. I like the Blue Jays. They're very much a young team with a lot to prove in their division. Um, you know, so I, I think that's also a really good one. I think I think the biggest team that I'm really excited to see this season would be the Los Angeles you know, Angels of Anaheim, of Orange County, of California, of America, <laughs> you know, basically, you know, play their season out because I want to see the best player in baseball playing in October. You know, I want to see Trout. I want to, I'm interested to see how Rendon, Otani, Joe Adele is their upcomer, you know, outfielder. Um, I'm really interested in that team for this season. Well, I'm happy to hear that because two of the teams I put futures on along with the Padres were the Blue Jays. And the Angels. And I looked at it like, like I said, I'm in the Chicago suburbs. Madden got such a bad deal. And you're giving Madden, who in my opinion is the best manager in the game, and Trout the best player in the game together. That to me is just a home run waiting to happen. Oh, yeah. I completely agree. So, uh, 
very much interested to see how those teams come up. I mean, they they have a lot of exciting talent that they put together. And yeah, it, I'm I'm only a little less you know disappointed that we're just not going to get a full season out of them. We're going to get half a season, hopefully. Oh, I know, and it's I think it's going to be fun for watching wise. And like I I said this last week, I think I'm never going to take a Marlins Orioles mid Wednesday game for granted again because I'm missing baseball so much. <laughs> Exactly, but, but like I think it's going to put more value on the um, the game itself because you're going to have such a small size of games that random Wednesday game where you have to travel to Cleveland or whatever after the game that most teams maybe just sandbag because they know they have a tight game against Cleveland or whatever. There's yep. value on that game now. Every game yep. is going to have value, which which I like. Um, what are some of the teams that you are low on? I mean, you named a couple right out of the gate there. I mean, not to take them for granted, but, you know, Baltimore would be one that just, you know, sticks out, obviously, because they're in such a rebuilding mode and they're in the really tough division. Um, you know, Pittsburgh themselves as well, they're, they don't have a lot of pressure to perform. They also have a lot of new management around them. Um, and then, you know, Detroit, they don't really have any contention anytime soon, but I know they got some, you know, starting pitcher aces that they're waiting to come up and see how they perform. Uh, Kansas City again, no pushover, but they don't really have the expectations yet. Um, you know, they they probably you know have some prospects in their farm system they're waiting to produce still, so probably just not going to have like a, a totally amazing season. And Miami, you know, they shouldn't lose at least eighty games this year. I'll say that much about Miami. So. And I think those are all the uh, the obvious ones that I think I'm just low on, just because kind of out of sight, out of mind. That you know, when I think about competition between them, I mean, I grew up in Michigan, and I'm telling you, as a Tiger fan, in like four years, we're going to be good as hell. Like See? four like, years, we're going to be good. Yes, but I agree. I think the farm system is loaded with starting pitcher talent there. We just need to get that starting pitching. Wait for Miguel to right off to the sign set, and uh, we'll be ready yeah. to go. Because, I mean, I think I agree. we're building in the right direction. Now, when the three – there was a three-league thing that came out, like what was it, um, like a couple weeks ago? Yeah. Um, now, it, when you look at that, are you going to devalue like the Dodgers more now because they're going to have to have more games against the Angels? Or – is how you look at a team going to change at all with how that's lined up, or is it basically going to be the same criteria, if that makes sense? It does. Um, so, yeah, no, I don't take into account three leagues. I don't. I mean, the model is the model in terms of, you know, looking at the teams really objectively and unbiased from, you know, how the leagues are split, anything of that nature. I mean, this my models in terms of MLB itself – are down to the individual player projected lineups. So mm-hmm. I've got everything from the exact hitting, you know, lineup to against that exact starting pitcher. And so those are just stats against each other in terms of, you know, how I can view uh, an unbiased approach based on divisions or, you know, anything like that. So I get an exact picture of a roll-up team summary going against, you know, whoever they're pitching against that day. So that's, that's kind of how I'm at. Okay, and now with it being such analytics and everything, have you applied this to fantasy baseball and DFS terms yet? 
Uh, I haven't because I haven't had the privilege and opportunity to actually use DFS as a, a betting platform for myself. Okay. So everything that I get to use is actually off of an independent book. And, you know, so I don't have that luxury, but I do have people that ask me and I do get to, I do get to go into dig into the lineup sometimes and, and certain days I'll be like, you definitely want this player <laughs> in your lineup. Um, and then when you're betting MLB, if there's one tip just to tell the people that are listening, what would be that tip? So I think it's kind of not even just applies to MLB, but just kind of across the board. I think a good betting decision is always based on numbers. I think if you use your numbers wisely and you're not following blindly, you know, to spend some extra time to learn and get better as a sports better, then you're not also putting yourself at risk of putting a finger in the air, hoping that the trend blows your way. Uh, generally, you know, what I definitely, you know, in particular for this MLB season, what I think people really need to keep in mind is that while we generally should always let sports and, you know, leagues take shape for over a month or so of time, this is a very much truncated season. So we want to see things, you know, try to come together in order to make better sports betting decisions. So I'm just saying with this season being so unique, you know, Definitely do yourself a favor, you know, always bet to risk and not to win early on. You know, that way it's, this is all about bankroll management. You know, keep your units small and early going as you're building your bankroll and, you know, watching these teams develop and take shape. So you're telling me the first day of MLB I shouldn't bet every over? Is that how I interpret <laughs> that? Yeah, I mean, you could, you could probably go for that train, but I'm not sure how it'll work out. Maybe 50-50, who knows? All right, Alpha, you are the man. Why don't you tell everybody where they can follow you? Uh, thank you very much. Appreciate the time being here. And, uh, you know, on Instagram, you know, you can find my handle at alpha underscore analytics 21. And then uh, same on uh, Twitter. I, I post on there as well. You got at A21Alpha. And uh, you can reach out to me at, at, on, a, on either platform. Great follow. Him and I connected randomly. We talked pretty much every other day. Great follow. Knows his stuff. I mean, if you're not following this guy, you must not like to win money because he's putting out free winners day after day. So if you're not following my boy, follow my boy. Thanks for coming on, and I look forward to talking to you soon. All right. Thank you again for your time, man. Appreciate it. want to thank Alpha for coming on the show like I said, great follow. If you guys are not following him, make sure you do. If you guys have any questions, you know, just shoot him a DM. He will gladly break break it down for you. So that's it for the podcast today, May 25th. Hope everyone is having a good Memorial Day, not drinking too much. If you do, please be safe. You know, I think Uber is going on, but you can always get that friend to give you a ride. Be safe, be well, keep six feet away, and I will see all you guys later in the week.